Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Discover more about our wondrous, world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that change the world, and learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Ben, wake up. We got to go. Huh? Come on. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, where, where was I? Huh? 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 Play the record. Talk to a kid. Okay? Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, September 15th is just moments away. And yes, Ben, you do have a song of the day request. Oh. But before we get into your song of the day and the show, we got to thank uh-huh. the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit votemailchicago.com. That's votemailchicago.com dot com for call scripts and a petition one more time vote v-o-t-e mail m-a-i-l chicago c-h-i-c-h-e-o dot com to make sure that every voter in cook county has safe and equitable polling that's correct your song of the day comes from frank again your song of the day 
Don't Rain on My Parade by Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Whoa. Oh, my God. It's Barbara Streisand's song. Hold on. I got to do my... That's from... Isn't that from Funny Girl? Oh, there you go. That was going to be your trivia question. You just uh, nailed it. From yeah, Funny Girl. Uh, I'll just, you know what? I don't know that one, so I'll just sing people, people who need people. Come on. Do you sing with me? I'm oh, lucky. Lucky. <laughs> Luckiest people, people in the world, lovers, and I don't know the rest of it. But oh. Frank, that'll have to. I, I just that's the only Barbara Streisand song I can think of right now. As always, very awful. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> Tuesday, September 15th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's election lawyer and resident foul mouth, Adolfo Mondragon. Now your host, on occasion, a foul mouth, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trump Goes to California Tuesday, and here's why. Great weekend. Do you have a good weekend, D? Yes, I did. I actually I went, went canoeing. canoeing. I went canoeing yes, in Kankakee. <laughs> You're unbelievable, man. You rode your bike out there? You no, went canoeing? I did not ride my bike to Kankakee. Okay, you blew it, okay? Then people were like, whoa, he rode his bike to Kankakee. What an athlete. It was a triathlon. He rode his bike, he went canoeing, and then he ate a hamburger. The three, you know. <laughs> okay, parts sure. Of, parts of a triathlon. Well, no, I heard you went canoeing. That was really funny. And then the canoe tipped over, as my sources tell me. Yes, yes, your sources, me, are correct. <laughs> I got a good source. You know, D, the key to journalism is good sources. Uh, anyway, well, I'm glad you had fun canoeing. I've um, not really known as a canoeer. I don't uh, take to the water. I watched the Bears game. Go Bears. They won. Can we sing a song? Come on, D. Bear Bear down, Bear down. Chicago Bears. Now, you got to know that song. No, I oh, don't. my God. I don't know that song. Wow, that is sad. Anyway, uh, I uh, uh, your so football excited. team, the Chicago Bears, are uh, sad. But anyway, no, they're they're undefeated and tied for first. I'd like to tell you that. Okay, they're tied for first, and I uh, totally admit uh, that our front runner. I'm jumping aboard the bandwagon. I was trashing the Bears, trashing the Bears just about two weeks ago. A uh, Brian Urlacher, a Trump supporter. Uh, he, uh, the uh, Ryan Pace, doesn't know how to draft quarterbacks, but you know they won a game, so I'm all excited. Well, now I know how this goes. Um, you're up, you're on the bandwagon, all right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I say in about seven, maybe six days, <laughs> you're going to jump back off that. As soon as the Bears lose, you're off yes. the bandwagon. I know how That's this goes. Exactly right. Yes. I just wrote about this, too, for the reader. I was like, That's it. They lose uh, to the Giants coming up on Sunday. I'm through with them forever. 
Yeah, it's the story of me and the bears. I saw a movie. I want to tell everybody Old Guard. It was a very entertaining flick. Uh, here's the premise. There's a group of warriors who never die. They can keep fighting in wars because they never die. You could shoot them and they don't die. And they do a battle with the mercenary force that's employed by this evil big pharma boss. Here's my, uh, my one problem with the movie. Why would anybody knowingly go into battle with a group of warriors who never die? It's just like, I was this kind of, you know, why are these mercenaries still sacrificing their life for big pharma? They keep running at these warriors who never die. What was uh, the movie called again? The Old Guard. Mm. Old Guard. A Netflix movie. You can watch it on your Netflix account. Anyway, it's only a movie. Who cares? It was, uh, it was good enough. It uh, distracted me from all the news of the day. Big news, of course, vicious uh, fires on the West Coast, not just California, but Oregon as well. Uh, it's so bad that President Trump made an appearance in California, just an appearance. He dropped in while he was on the West Coast making campaign stops in Arizona and Nevada. And here's the relevant passage from The New York Times. Quote, Mr. Trump, who has come under intense criticism for barely addressing the crisis before, interrupted a Western campaign swing to make a two-hour visit in an airport in McClellan Park outside Sacramento, where Air Force One descended through a smoky haze. Not far away, one of the biggest fires now largely contained recently burned more than 363,000 acres, end quote. Immediately, Trump told reporters that the fire had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with climate change. It's not in any way related to man's polluting the environment. Instead, he says, quote, when the trees fall down, they're very dry, like matchstick, and they explode. Also leaves. When you have dried leaves in the ground, it's just fuel for fire. Joe Rogan, how can you say this guy is any more sharper of the brain than Joe Biden? I, I'm with you. Joe Biden is Joe Biden is problematic. Play the record. <laughs> Where are we? But come on, Joe Rogan. Fair is fair. You gotta call it both ways. These guys are both. I wouldn't say demented, but things aren't clicking. Anyway, come on, Joe Rogan. Expect better of you. Had a joint meeting, Donald Trump did, with uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom. And Gavin Newsom, all the newspapers' uh, accounts, made a point of being, quote, exceedingly polite. He better be. Donnie Trump has a long memory. Uh, he holds grudges. His brain, not, his brain may be not working on, like, 100%, but he remembers any slight... So if Gavin Newsom doesn't say the right thing, he'll hold it against him. No Here's what Gavin Newsom said. <laughs> As you suggest, the working relationship I value. And then Gavin Newsom just like try to suggest that maybe uh, climate change had something to do with the forest fires. Something's happening to the plumbing of the world. And we've come from a perspective humbly where we submit that science is in and observed evidence is self-evident that climate change is real, and that is exacerbating this. The president's reaction was along the lines of, yeah, right. And then off he went, got the hell out of Dodge, went to another campaign trip, raising money, basking the cheers of his fans. I'm surprised he went there at all. You know why, ladies and gentlemen, the Electoral College. California is a blue state. It's going for Biden. We know that. Trump knows that. So it doesn't matter if the whole place burns down as far as Donald Trump is concerned. I suspect that Donald Trump only made that two hour stopover in California because his advisors told him, boss, 
We did a focus group, swing voters in suburban Wisconsin, and we discovered that it would look bad to them if you didn't at least, I don't know, fly on the show like you kind of care, even though, of course, we all know that you don't care. We all know Trump's not going to win the popular vote. Trump knows he won't win the popular vote. So all that matters is the Electoral College, and if the Electoral College, uh, if he can win it without Oregon or without California, he doesn't care if they burn down. I was hoping that Donald Trump wouldn't even have his name on the ballot in California. If you recall, about a year or so ago, there was a law, I believe it was a law passed by the General Assembly in California that would prevent any presidential candidate from being on the ballot if he hadn't released his income taxes. Uh, That would, of course, apply to one Donald John Trump. Uh, He fought that law. I urged him not to fight the law. I urged him to let California kick him off the ballot. I felt that there was no greater sign of how insane our system of picking a president would be if Donald Trump's name was not on the ballot in the most populous state in the union, and he still got to be the president. As far as Donald Trump is concerned, so long as voters in Wisconsin, or Wyoming, or Alabama, or Texas. Don't punish him for his utter indifference to climate change. He will be indifferent to it. California can fall into the sea, as Steely Dan once said, and it won't matter to Donald Trump. It's really hard to hold the president accountable, folks, if the system itself is so broken. We got a great show today, everybody. Yeah. is coming in. Let's go. <laughs> we got to get down to talking. business. Woo. Yes, yes, we do. I was talking to Adolfo yesterday, election law lawyer. I sent him three, not one, not two, not three, three articles to read. Give a guy a lot of, man, people come on this show. They do homework. They're like, damn, this guy asks yeah. a lot of us. It's <laughs> sending people articles. Anyway, one thing I'm really curious about Adolfo, on the local level, he's uh, filed several suits challenging uh, various aldermen. I believe, well, I don't think he's filed a suit against Madigan, uh, but uh, he's challenged Madigan as well on this issue of using campaign funds uh, to pay, uh, to defray the costs of their criminal defense bills. Politician gets in trouble and he hires a lawyer. Uh, and he pays for that lawyer out of the money that people give him to run a campaign. How is that legal? How is that right? How is that fair? Uh, Dolfo Mondragon has a lot of views on that. Well, here we are. Donald Trump's not only doing that, he's got the Justice Department uh, handling his defense or petitioning to handle his defense uh, in his uh, rape trial, Eugene Carroll's rape trial against him. So I'm going to ask him about that election law, all kinds of good things, uh, and uh, local politics as well, Adolfo Mondragon. And D, you know, as you pointed out, uh, Adolfo's been known to drop an F-bomb or two oh, or three. Good Lord, uh, has he ever. And uh, so I told him there's an over-under in uh, Vegas as to how many minutes will pass before he drops his first F-bomb. And Adolfo told me, I'm going to prove you wrong, Ben. I'm going to go through the whole show without dropping an F-bomb. So, I know the challenge We shall see. We shall see. He, I can't, did he ever drop the F-bomb on the old show when they, when you would actually uh, bleep it out? You mean uh, back in the sometime studio, pre-COVID days? 
Uh, no, actually, the show before that, I can't remember where I was working, but whatever. Uh, oh, there was d- a uh, WCPT A20. Uh, they fired yeah. you. Uh, I don't yeah. think we ever really had Adolfo on. We only had him on like one or two times, I think, on the we radio had, show. We, we had him on twice. I uh, want to say at least twice. And I, I believe he showed tremendous restraint and discipline, and he did not drop the F on oh, What happened to that? Points. What happened to that, Adolfo? <laughs> He's like, bleep it. It's a bleep it podcast. He's a big Joe Rogan fan. He's like, Joe Rogan swears all the time. By the way, for 10 trivia points, let's okay. see if you can pull this off. All right. On the old radio show, before they fired me. Okay. At WCPT who, 820, where facts matter. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, where facts matter, but Ben doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, WC you later. All right. Uh, who was the first guest that you had a bleep out? Oh, wow. Do you know that? I think I do. Oh, great! Are you no, I know because I know. I, I'm pretty sure I know. I know who it is. Uh, you know what? I have no idea. I'll just take a guess. Uh, Mr. Bike, that foul mouth. <laughs> no, Mr. Bike. Mr. Bike never swears. Um, Dennis, um, could you play uh, Alderman Solis for me? Mr. Bike, by the way, will be here on Wednesday. We have a, a whole week is booked. I mean, we have some great guests lined up, including some first-timers we never had on the show before. But Mr. Bike will make his return to analyze the city council hearing. No, it's young Tommy Tresser, the TIFF man. That bastard. Came on. <laughs> he came on. And the second man, I believe, was Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Dropped the S-bomb. Oh, yeah. Uh, Congressman, hello. And then he goes, uh, can I say that? What makes you think you could say that? I mean, on a podcast, you can say. Anyway, those were the two uh, people that I can recall. Uh, and then whatever would happen, of course, I'd had that moment of panic because I never really did learn where that red button was. <laughs> Dennis was like, uh, I got this. And he would push the red button. <laughs> like, oh, radio school like i got it okay just i can handle the red button there was that red button but i would i had a baby boomer fear d that if i pushed the red button it would like shut down the studio you know how baby boomers are always afraid of pushing something on a computer what do i do now do, do, do i push this thing huh just, no <laughs> baby boomer fear my god so you're like, weird i know <laughs> Oh, my God. Baby boomers, man. Baby boomers are a weird generation, man. I got to tell you, they are a weird generation. Anyway, I had the baby boomer fear of their little red button, but not Dr. D. I'll push that button. I'll push it right now. And then it goes like 10 seconds. Is that it? Or seven seconds? Everything's down. Well, you hit uh, you hit the red button once. That's 10 seconds. Twice, 20 seconds. Three times, 30 seconds. Wow. Damn. Not only did you go to radio school, but you're damn this when it comes to mathematics. Anyway, Adolfo will be here and uh, get ready to push that red button, D, because I don't believe him. I believe he's going to be dropping the F-bomb from about, I'd say, three minutes. I give him three minutes. Oh, yeah. The hey, F-bomb what what the F's up, Ben? Okay, Adolfo. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, Adolfo will be here. We're talking a lot of politics. Before we do that, the young man from Alton. The man that Adolfo finally calls Dr. Doobie with the news. Well, he calls me Dr. Effin Doobie, but, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. Uh, hey, uh, Ben, it seems like it's a hit on the Ben Jarofsky show. No pun intended. Uh, Brianna asks, where's the table hit? Hit that table, Ben. Come on. Yeah. 
You know what, Brianna? The truth is we had a, a pre-show production meeting uh, not long ago, and Dennis goes, Ben, the table hits are not good because they knock everything out. So he did not do the That's table That's a hits. lie. That is a bold-faced <laughs> lie. Uh, the, oh, another one. That was good. Wait, who is the one that really, back in the studio, my beloved Suntime studio, which I miss so much, wasn't it Sergio who would be whacking the table all oh, the time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sergio, big table whacker, <laughs> that guy. Yeah. So, anyway, Brianna, I'm going to bring it back. Here we go. Harumph! All right. Oh my goodness. That's for you, Brianna, and all the other live stream chats who love it when Ben hits the table. <laughs> <laughs> but Ben, I'm pumped. Could you actually uh, hand me that bottle real quick? All right. Oh, thank yeah, you. there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go here. What, can I just say one thing before you get to the news? Say it. I'm so impressed that you went canoeing. Oh, I'm really? just picturing you. I'm a canoeer every day. Do, 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 do. And so were you sitting at the back or the front? Well, we switched. I, uh, uh, My girlfriend and I, I rode in the front for a little bit. They call that power. You do the power, boom, boom, boom. And then uh, we took a little break. Then I got in the back and did the steering. So I did both. Uh, all right. And now for 10 trivia points, the front of the boat is called the what? The front of the boat is called the front. <laughs> okay, that's good enough. Uh, there's a stern and a bow. Ken Davis would know this. I, <laughs> he would know which was which. Let's see if Adolfo knows. Don't. Oh, he's probably listening. Get damn it. Okay. Gonna a, you a watch your mouth too, okay? <laughs> I said gall darn it. Oh, yeah, sure you did. Uh, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, huh? That's a good idea. I think so too. We begin with the Illinois governor. Face coverings. Today, Governor J.B. Pritzker <laughs> is at. <laughs> I'm sorry. That one kills me. I thought you were going to do it. I want a Grammy. Well, that was last week. That was last week. <laughs> I love you, JB. Now it's okay. this week and we're doing face coverings. Yeah. Okay. Right. Today, Governor JB Pritzker is at Pearl's Place Restaurant on South Michigan Avenue, home of the Rattlesnake Tail Appetizer, to Ooh. announce the second round of business interruption grants to assist small businesses. Ben. Have you ever been to Pearl's Place? No, I never even heard of it before. Oh, well, it looks delicious. Rattlesnake tails. Uh, what a rattlesnake tail is, is halves of jalapenos stuffed with cream cheese. Then they have Parker House spicy sausage and shrimp. And then it's wrapped in bacon. You're, you, did you make that up? No. That is like the most unhealthy thing I've ever, and I'm a guy who has consumed enormous amounts of fried chicken in my life and pizza, but that sounds really bad. That's like just clogging the arteries. Eh, let's just put some wet cement in those arteries. There you go. Oh no, it sounds delicious. The rattlesnake tail. <laughs> Pearl's place. Not, wait, the high, is there anything remotely rattlesnake there? So there's no snake at all? No. It's Chicago, dude. What? Okay, I don't know. We call it the rattle. It could be uh no we had an alligator in the lagoon, do you remember? Oh huh? yeah, Did you're you, right. You're right. Okay. Hello. <laughs> okay, so let's talk numbers, and right. why do I feel a headache coming on? Uh, uh -oh. the, the following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Ricky P. Rick Pearson. Uh, shout out to a group with maybe the longest name of a group I've ever <laughs> seen in my life so far. It's the COVID-19 Consortium for Understanding the Public's Policy Preferences Across States. 
That's its name. That's wow. their name. Yeah. Shout out to yeah, them. You might want to work on that. Okay. <laughs> Just like break it down a little bit. Anyway. Shout out to them for a survey that they conducted uh, back in August. It's a survey polling how Illinois voters feel overall about our governor and president's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the results came out Monday. Now, uh, before we do this, Ben, what are your overall uh, feelings on the president and the governor's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic? I'll start with the governor. I generally give him high marks. Uh, I've said this many times. I'll probably say it again. Uh, he's under intense pressure in Illinois, uh, thanks to the uh, no mask groups and the Republicans uh, who uh, don't want any kind of protections whatsoever because they think it's a hoax. So in the face of that, I think he's done a pretty good job. Uh, some of my friends of the far leftist persuasion keep sending me emails uh, telling me what a bad job he's doing. Uh, and they make some good points, but see, they're not under siege. My beloved lefties, who I love dearly, as I am of the ilk, you know, we like live in lefty land. <laughs> what we forget to remember is that we're really not that popular. And I say this as a lifelong lefty, but I realize this, D, we're really not that popular. <laughs> I mean, just, I hate to break it to you. I mean, our guy, Bernie Sanders, was lost twice. They make fun. Everybody makes fun of him. Trump calls him crazy. And uh, it just seems as though we've been really put in a box here. So uh, my, my, I've been getting a lot of emails from uh, lefties who are critical of J.B. Pritzker. But I, I tend to give him uh, pretty good grades because uh, he is uh, doing this in the face of opposition to absolutely any kind of protection. Uh, in terms of Trump, he's insane. Uh, I believe he is heading down the road toward dementia. And uh, so I give him a flat out F minus. Surprise, He's, surprise. You know, I mean, is there a grade lower than F minus? I really, I think that, I guess when I think about it, the minus is unnecessary. You know what I'm saying? Because it's already F. It can't get lower than F. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just F. All right. F. All right, so let's get to the uh, the survey here. Now, don't tell any of your downstate Pritzker suck sign owning friends this, but according to the survey, Governor J.B. Pritzker's handling of the pandemic got a 57% approval rating of Illinois voters. Wow. I know. The I'm stunned. The C-19 CFUPPPAS is made up of researchers from Northwestern, Harvard, Rutgers, and Northeastern universities. The latest survey involved 21,196 people surveyed across the nation online with results uh, weighed to reflect age, gender, and racial demographics. The survey was taken August 7th through the 26th of 508 Illinois voters with an error margin of 4.8%. The survey found 68.3% of Illinois voters trusted, well, they trusted state government in responding to the pandemic, while 31.6% uh, did not. Yeah, 31%. That's okay. Basically, we're talking about that 31.6% uh, is Bruce Rauner's vote. It's actually a little less than what Bruce Rauner got. So they're a little off, but I guess there's the margin of error. So it's, I'm not surprised by these findings. The 57% approval rate is probably Joe Biden's vote in the state of Illinois. We're a blue state. So uh, my guess is, is everybody's falling into place. Liberals support uh, J.B. Pritzker. I think he's doing a good job. And 
the rest of the you know conservatives can't stand them don't believe it's a real the pandemic's real don't want to have to wear masks think Pritzker sucks they're gonna put a sign up that says it who would put a sign up that says come on i know a lot of people have it d you told me you're my report <clears throat> the Bendorowski show reporter for madison county dr d with this report hi there are <laughs> Hi, hi. I'm Dennis here. I'm standing outside of Billy Bob's house in beautiful downtown Alton, and he has a sign on his front lawn that says Pritzker sucks. So I'm not surprised, D. This just sounds like where the election is going to be in November. You know what I'm saying? Eh, I don't know if Biden will get 57 percent of the vote. But again, the, you know, there's a margin of error. And it's probably the people that lie. But we have to take them into account. We know there's a lot of liars out there when it comes to pollsters. So I, I would say about 52 percent of the state is going to go for Joey B. So I'm not surprised uh, by these results. According to the survey, a total of 29.4 percent of voters disapproved Pritzker's handling of COVID-19 last month. Democrats have been stronger in support of Pritzker's handling of the pandemic, though that number also has fallen from 85 percent in late April to nearly 75 percent in late August. Approval among Republicans in the state, uh, which began at 45 percent in late April, was at about 40 percent in late August. How about those independent voters, huh? Among independent voters, approval of Pritzker's action has gone from nearly 60 percent to about 50 percent. All right, here's what I'm going to tell you. First of all, I don't believe they're really independent. I believe they're Republicans. I believe they're uh, embarrassed to admit that they're... That's one of the first lies. People that tell you they're independent, oh, I'm an independent voter, yeah. <laughs> I go election to election, and they don't make up my mind. They may every now and then swing one way or the other, D. But by and large, people vote along a certain party line. Let's be honest. This, I am an independent. People love saying they're independent. Especially reporters. You ever notice reporters? Uh, I'm not really affiliated with any party. I'm a, a reporter, and I just make up my mind. Uh, election by election. Come on, guys. You're all basically Democrat or Republican. You're basically on the left of the center or you're to the right of the center. So when you say you're independent, you're just ducking and dodging. All right. So I'd say most of those independents are Republicans. Uh, and yeah, the numbers are down because Donald Trump has and the right have effectively waged war against any kind of pandemic controls. Duh. They've been doing that ever since Operation Gridlock. That's why Donald Trump is having rallies, indoor rallies in Nevada. You know, it's like they don't they've dedicated themselves to the notion that it's not real, even though it is real. You don't have to wear masks, even though you should wear masks. And it's like government intrusion, even though it's not really government intrusion or not any more government intrusion than, say, making you go through a, a, a metal detector in an airport, an airport. The part that gets me is the 85% approval rank rating falling to 75% among Democrats. Like, are you for real Democrat? This is Democrats trying to be a, like objective. Um, I'm really thinking about the issues. And oh, I, which Democrat are you um, personating there? <laughs> Who's that? I, I listen to WTTW all the time and I'm oh. very concerned. Mm. I don't know why any Democrat would fall. That's what I'm saying. My lefty friends were never on board. That's the 15%. They were never there, right? They thought he was, he didn't go far enough, right? So that's the 15%. That's the left. But you wishy-washy liberals, man, you will jump off of any, man, you are so undependable. Little, 
things get a little nervous. Uh, the knees are rattling. Uh, I'm a wishy-washy liberal. I'm yeah. jumping off. Come on, liberals. And come on, Gazzardi. Just say you want Madigan to step down. <laughs> uh, Will Gazzardi. I think he's like the mini dean of the progressives uh, in, it's hard to say mini because he's so tall, but he's been up, he's been in the General Assembly for quite a while, for quite a while, since 2014, I want to say. All right. Among Illinois voters, 46.3% said that the pandemic has disrupted their lives a lot or a great deal. 39.1% lost their job or wages and 70.7% are concerned about getting the coronavirus. And you can put me in that group. Yes, you can. <laughs> Yes, you can. (laughs) And when it comes to President Donald Trump, 62.1% of Illinois voters said that they do not trust him dealing with the coronavirus, while 37.9% say they do. Okay. Wow. 37.9%? Yeah. 37.9%. I'm going to speak to you guys now. I know you're big listeners to this show. You guys are really whacked out. You guys still trust Trump? He told you to take bleach. The guy, sometimes I think Donald Trump goes, I'm going to say something really stupid and see if they stay with me. Here, everybody, ingest bleach. I hear it works. And the MAGA hat crowd is like, sounds good to me. Well, I like it. You guys are embarrassing. I mean, I just got finished making fun of liberals. They're so wishy-washy. They see something on uh, WTTW or hear something on NPR, and they're like, oh, very concerned about that. I think I'll abandon all my principles right now (laughs) and uh, immediately uh, vote for some conservative guy. Looting is bad. But, I mean, compared to the right, I don't know, D, sometimes when I think about, oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble here. Oh, that's a first. Because it's, it's like my, I just have this general thing about voters that I have to overcome. They're so important, right? Duh, duh. Since they're the ones who elect these people. But I talk to a lot of voters all the time. And it's just, sometimes I just don't get the logic. Particularly the right. I, I'm baffled by the right. That That is... I, I, you know, I, and I follow you guys. I do. I read your, the smartest thinkers you have. I listen to them when they talk on TV. I'm always trying to see like what's governing. I get all your email, but 39% trust Donald Trump. What has he done to earn your trust? He's done nothing. He told you to take bleach. Nationally, Trump saw his approval in handling the pandemic drop from slightly more than 40% in April to 32% in July before moving slightly upward to 34% last month. Wait a minute. According to so it's higher in the country? Um, it's His approval rating is lower in the country than it is in Illinois? It looks like it. That is something weird. I don't know. I'm calling into question this poll right now. Oh, now they're going to tell me, well, you know, Ben, there's the margin error or margin okay the margin error okay okay that basically it's a tie then that's roughly the he in illinois his uh disapproval rating or is is roughly the same nationwide okay okay d i buy all right well send him an email i'll give you the address have a pen and paper it's the covid19 consortium for understanding the public's policy preferences across states at gmail.com did you get all that got uh i'm surprised they're not an aol outfit with that name okay got it i wrote it down and carry the t and blah 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 okay got it d hold on let me just write the email 
I'm really good at multitasking. I'm hanging around with millennials a lot. You are okay, such a millennial. It. Okay. In contrast, 55.1% said that they trusted Democratic Whoa. presidential nominee Joe Biden to deal with COVID-19, while 44.9% did not. That's the <laughs> wait a minute. So you guys are really in trouble. That 44. If that 44, like they don't trust Biden, they don't trust Trump. They're in a lot of trouble. They're in a heap of trouble. All right. They don't trust Pritzker. Oh, uh, I listen. I, I got to say, uh, at least Joe Biden wears a mask. You know, like, that's like step one. Wear a mask. So I got to give him that day. At least, at least he wears a mask. So there you are. That's the latest survey there from that long-winded uh, title of a group there. Uh, and the others- bottom line of that survey is that J.P. Pritzker uh, has lost a little support from his margin that he had when he beat Bruce Rauner with 60-something percent of the vote, but not that much. And what does that mean for the fair tax? Really, that's the question we should be asking. Thank you for asking it, D. You're welcome. What does that mean for the fair tasks? It means it's in a heap of trouble because it's got to win 60% of the vote. So for the fair tax to win, for the initiative that would raise the rate on the highest wage earners in the state, the richest people in the state, the Kenny G's of the state, the Ken Griffins of the state, the Bruce Rauners of the state, the J.B. Pritzkers of the state, would raise their rates so that the rates on Dennis would fall and on Ben would fall. You got to get 60% of the vote. That's the most, that's the fundamental choice voters in, in the state of Illinois face. You guys have an opportunity to change the way we do business in Illinois. Uh, I don't know, D. I'm, I'm doing a correlation between the 57% who uh, say they, they like how Pritzker's doing and the 60% he needs to pass the fair tax. We're just a little shy. I have a friend, Keith, sends me updates every day. Keith, hey, Keith. shout out to Keith. K-O-K-K, what up? And uh, we're always going over the numbers. And uh, yeah, right now that fair tax, I think it's just a little shy of the 60% it needs. Uh, maybe that'll change as we head into November, like a huge Democratic turnout. People just just view voting for the fair tax as voting for um, a Democrat in general. But uh, Kenny Griffin just kicked in $20 million for the anti-fair tax propaganda campaign. And uh, the tribute will be against it. Uh, sometimes it'll be for it. So that's good. My beloved bright one. Thank you for doing that. Uh, but uh, it's an uphill battle. I, to me, that's the takeaway I come. I was going to say, that remember, everybody, uh, I think it was last week. Ben called it. He said that the fair tax will not pass. Better luck next time, Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. OK, D, I was wrong about Hillary Clinton in 2016. So I am not a perfect person. I thought she was going to win. Yeah, I did. Well, she did win, but I thought she was also going to win the Electoral College. Send your hate mail to the Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Show at <laughs> gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. All right. In other state news, more proof that Illinois is quickly turning into a statewide Grateful Dead concert. The following comes from Crane Chicago Business and John Pletz. According to the Illinois Department of Revenue, Illinois has collected $19.2 million in cannabis taxes just last month. That's up 38% from July. August tax receipts reflect the surge in marijuana sales in July when adult use weed revenue jumped 
28% to about $61 million. Marijuana products are taxed at varying rates from smokable weed, the way mom and dad used to do it, to <laughs> edibles. And that's all depending on potency. Wait, were you reading that in cranes? Yeah, I, that, I put the mom and dad part in there. That... Oh, okay. Uh, by the way, how did you get that article? They have a wall. <laughs> Yeah, she she Capos posted the first paragraph. So I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll just copy and paste that bad boy. <laughs> okay, I was like, well, I'm very impressed. <laughs> Dennis, a millennial, has figured a way to crack the crane code. <laughs> That's what my friend, my friend Keith, I'm just getting getting a lot of airtime. He'll send me Crane's articles, and there's a wall. I'm like, Keith, I can't read the article. He goes, well, neither can I. Well, why are you sending me this article then? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, All right, if we talk about um, Keith enough, we're going to have to hit him up to pay for our, for our show. So let's just. <laughs> hey, Keith, come on, man. Kick in a little bit. Uh, so anyway, back to that uh, crane story. They're obsessed with the money. And I've always felt as though the, that was the wrong thing to accentuate when it comes to legalizing uh, cannabis in the state of Illinois. I've always felt that. I think all that, uh, the injustice, the social injustice was the thing we should be concentrating on. But Cranes is, is a, a business publication. They don't really care about social injustice. They care about do, re, me. So that's what they're, oh, 19.2 million. Sounds good to me. Uh-huh, <laughs> yes. I, I actually mixed feelings. This is going to get me in a lot of trouble, but I have mixed feelings. Uh, if they just stopped arresting people uh, for possession of reefer, I don't know why legalize it. Just make it illegal, right? This the the underground economy. There's probably helping. There's probably more people who need the money who are profit profiting from the underground economy than the legal economy. I'm just throwing that out there. It's just a theory. So as long as you aren't arresting anybody, I don't know why. What's the big deal? That's kind of where I stand on this one, D. But every day, you know, they go, ooh, $19.2 million. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that's that's the part that Cranes accentuates. Ben, way to go, and man. They're not going to talk about, like, thousands of people thrown into jail, lives ruined, war on drugs, destroying neighborhoods. No, $19.2 million. Well, that's good for the state coffers. Hmm. <laughs> Hey, I'm just, ha- I'm just happy we read a Cranes article uh, and you didn't trash Cranes writer Greg Hines for his poker playing. So way to go Guys. on that. I'm trying to get that interview. I got it lined up for sometime in October. All right. So just let's just move on. All right. You mean, Greg, no one to hold him, no one to fold him. Hines, that Greg Hines. Yeah, that Greg Hines. Uh, Greg's a little kind of a little conservative. When I met him. He's kind of a hippie. Now oh, he's there like, we oh, go. He's, there we go. Call him a hippie. Awesome. <laughs> But that was years ago. Now he's very conservative. Greg Hines, I'm so sorry. Please just don't listen to him. We'd love to have you on the program. Okay, moving on. The magic mm-hmm. number is 49. We're now 49 days away from Election Day. Wow. And yes, 49 days away from finding out which confused old man will be the leader of the free world. <laughs> Donnie T. I'm not a doctor. Or Joey B. I just want you to know. I had permission to hug Lonnie. Lord help us all. I'm just saying, Joe Rogan, come on, man. Fair is fair, okay? If you're going to make fun of Biden, which is understandable. Don't ignore Trump. I think Rogan's is... See, this is the thing. Joe Rogan is probably a Donald Trump voter, but he realizes... He's He's not a Donald Trump voter. Uh, but he doesn't want to admit it, Dave. I think there's that. I think that's going on. We talk about this all the time. 
the Dennis Dr. D theory of white voters. You were the one who came up with it. I gave you the name. They lie. They don't want to admit they like Donnie. Just saying. Just reading the tea leaves there. Anyway, yes. I'm sorry. I cut you off. But don't forget, everybody. There are also several elections happening all across Illinois. Uh, And this afternoon, the Ben Jarofsky Show's local election coverage continues. Ben, we have another candidate campaign ad to play. I am so excited. I'm hoping that it is Sean Caston. Okay, it is. <laughs> Way to ruin no, that I'm surprise. So, uh, wait, I was hoping it was Genie Eyes. No, it's time Hi, for I'm Genie. It's time for a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. <laughs> this is a 2020 <laughs> Illinois general election candidate update. Oh, God, I love that. I love that production quality. One more time, Vilma. Great job, Vilma, and our production crew, uh, our staff. How many guys you got working for you, D? 20? Is it 20? Yeah, the... it's 20. <laughs> 20. Vilma, great job, okay? Go ahead, D. Quit bringing up Vilma. She doesn't like it. All right. Before we play the ad, we do have some Chicago election news to cover. It involves the story that will not go away. No matter how much we wish and pray, Smollett Gate, the time that damn near two years ago, former Empire television show actor Jesse Smollett was caught faking his own hate crime and Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox's alleged botched handling of the whole thing. And, well, if we're sick of hearing about this stupid story, just imagine how Kim Fox feels. She called the bullshit on our show like last yeah. year. Uh, and before we read uh, the latest in Smollett Gate, actually, we'd like to share with all of you an email that we received over the weekend. Very nice email we got. Uh, the feller didn't want his name uh, put out on the show, but uh, he had some kind words to say, and uh, we do want to uh, share some of it with you. Uh, let's see here. He says, uh, while I do miss seeing you guys and all your guests in studio on Racine Avenue, I have to applaud you for the way you've handled the show during this awful pandemic. Thank you, mystery person. I may not uh, have tuned in for all that long, but I've listened as you've gone through maintaining social distancing, tried out different conferencing platforms, battled cease and desist letters, endured (laughs) technical difficulties, boy have we ever, and continued to put on a great show for the audience with thought-provoking political commentary and a lot of good humor. Ben, then he compliments you on your sound effects. Whoever this guy is, I love this guy. He says the sound effects are amazing from both of you. Well, hey, uh, person who sent us his email who wants to go unnamed, this one's for you. Ben, let him hear the cat out of the bag. Okay, keep keep forgetting to do the bag noise. Oh, there it is. That's a cat out of the bag, everybody. I got it. I'm so good. Can we hear flip flopping? That's me on Michael Madigan. (laughs) And the the part I wanted to mention here, he says, uh, and the way you take the time to explain messy topics and connections to specific people and places is really appreciated from me. I tend to take more time to process ideas than many people that I know. And some other podcasts that I've listened to don't do that as much. They just sort of assume that the audience knows it all. Tell me about it, mystery emailer. Go through it all the time. Uh, He says, anyway, I just wanted to send my thanks to you and your guests for putting on this awesome show. If I remember correctly, you've called it the hardest working podcast in Chicago. And I think that's a well-deserved 
description. That was an awesome email. Thank you so much. And uh, I wanted to mention that email because, uh, yeah, we're about to explain uh, a messy topic and the connections to specific people and places here with this following Smollett Gate story. Uh, so let's go ahead and read that. For those who weren't aware, Kim Fox is up for re-election. She ate Bill the Bro Conway's low-carb and gluten-free lunch in the primary, and now she's squaring off against her Republican challenger, Pat I hate Empire O'Brien <laughs> and Libertarian candidate Brian. Hey, don't forget about me, Dennehy. Now, Benny J, you're going to have to walk us through this one. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Tribune, Alice Yin, Megan Crepe, and Gregory Pratt. It says here, as the Jesse Smollett case boiled over last year, Judge Michael Tooman appointed a special prosecutor to look at how Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox and her office handled the controversial case, saying it had been botched. On Monday, the Cook County Democratic Party, which is chaired by Fox's ally, Tony P., Tony Preckwinkle, former mayoral candidate, remember her? Uh, she took the relatively rare step of voting not to endorse Tooman for retention on the November 3rd ballot. Let's just pause right here. Ben, please take the ball. What the hell did I just read? I'm confused. Well, I don't blame you for being confused. And I thought about this because I read the, I actually read the uh, article as it appeared on my Chicago Tribune, home delivered every day. And, you know, I, D, when I read the article, I knew what they were getting at. Uh, because I'm a news junkie and I've been covering politics in Chicago since 1981. And I suspect that many of my listeners understand what they're getting at, because if you're listening to my show, chances are you too uh, are a news junkie who've been following politics for a long time, especially if you're listening to the live feed. But I realize that the vast majority of people in uh, Chicago or Cook County would have no understanding whatsoever of what's going on here uh, in this story and that they would be overwhelmed by the sheer volume of names. And this is just like an aside about a journalistic, how do you do a story like this? I mean, there were, I'm just going to count it uh, in the, in the, uh, the two lead paragraphs. There's how many names? Justice Smollett is one name. Judge Michael Tooman is a second name. Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, a third name. Cook County Democratic Party <laughs> chair, Tony Preckwinkle is a fourth name. There's four different names, four different titles. You got a judge, Mike Tooman. You got a county, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox. And you have uh, Justice Millett, an actor. Well, they don't even pretend that you don't know. They assume you know Justice Millett. Uh, and so, yeah, it is a very complicated uh, story. The bottom line is this. The essential accusation embedded in this article is that Tony Preckwinkle, and her allies in the Cook County Democratic Party are attempting to punish a Cook County judge, Michael Tooman, for ordering a special prosecutor to investigate Kim Fox's handling of Jesse Smollett. And as I say that, I'm wondering, would ordinary people understand that? Would ordinary say, I mean, there's so many names. There's just so, there's so much assumption of knowing something, you have to have a knowledge, just like a basic knowledge. I, I, my heart goes out to these three Tribune reporters trying to figure out how to explain this uh, in a way that people would understand. But that's basically what it comes down to: Is Michael Tuman being punished? Is Tony Preckwinkle attempting to punish Michael Tuman uh, because he uh, appointed a special prosecutor to investigate? 
Kim Fox? And uh, that's the question, D. That's the essential question. Uh, that, in fact, it used to be uh, the sometimes you'd have a man on the street. They, so they sent out a reporter and just interview, uh, you know, just people they saw passing, walking down their way. I think the onion still does that. The man on the street. It's kind of funny when the onion does it because, of course, they make up the questions and make up the answers. And the people are always clueless. They don't know anything. But if you did a, a, a man on the street interview on this, I think most people would say, yes, this was an attempt uh, by Tony Preckwinkle uh, to punish Michael Tuman or send a message to Michael Tuman uh, that she didn't appreciate the way uh, that he uh, hired a special prosecutor in the case of Kim Fox. And I frankly, D, I have said I agree with Kim Fox. I believe that uh, as entertaining as it is and as entertained by it as I am, uh, uh, Smollett Gate is bullshit. Bullshit. It's bullshit. 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 Absolutely. I'm with you, Kim Fox. Uh, And that Kim Fox's opponents who don't like uh, her initiatives on criminal justice reform are using it as an attempt to punish her. So, like, there's a lot of punishment going on here, folks. The uh, get tough uh, on crime, law and order types are trying to punish Kim Fox for addressing years and years of police brutality and the lock them up mentality that's prevailed in Cook County since for as long as I can remember. And Tony Prickwinkle's sort of sending a message to Michael Tooman uh, for daring to appoint a special prosecutor, Dan Webb. Why do they always appoint Dan Webb, by the way? That's a whole other story. You know, Dan Webb is always the guy. Can't you find somebody else to appoint? Don't get me started on Dan Webb. That's a whole other. These are insiders that supposedly, you know, despite their inside status, despite the fact that they're just part of the civic and corporate fabric of Chicago or somehow or other, like can separate themselves. Why don't you put why'd you put a lefty up? How about that? Like appointing some lefty. All right, Ben, go. Let's do it. Could you imagine if they pointed a lefty to invest, a lefty lawyer, like a William Concert type? William Concert's dead. In fact, I realize that nobody out there even knows who he is. But a lefty lawyer. You all know about him because the Chicago 7 movie is coming out. I just saw this. And uh, William Concert was the lawyer for the Chicago 8 and Chicago 7. Anyway, D, that is the nutshell of it. Do you have any more that you're going to uh, weigh in on or do you want me well, to go I, further? I, I have a quote here. That's That's enough. You know, that's, you know. You've, you've done Enough. a great job at uh, explaining all of this. But uh, Fox's state attorney opponent, Pat O'Brien, was obviously quick uh, to, re- to attack the Democrats' motives, uh, saying, quote, I'm quite surprised that the Democratic Party would single him out not to give him their support. This seems, because I can't think of a reason which would be legitimate, to be punishment for having appointed Dan Webb to investigate Kim Fox, who is the protege of the head of the county party, Tony Preckwinkle. Did he use the word protege? He used protege. Wow, Pat O'Brien with that vast He must have done really well on his SATs. Uh, it, was, uh, it was very good, Ben. Uh, he did very well in the English portion of the test. Uh, listen, if you vote uh, for Pat O'Brien uh, because of the way Kim Fox handled Smollettgate, uh, how do I put this? I think you're a sucker. There, I said it. I think you're a sucker. I feel that uh, Kim Fox's handling of this, obviously, 
is flawed. I've said this many times. I feel that she got caught up in the just like the celebrity of Jesse Smollett. And when she was getting the worst thing she did in this is that she took a phone call. It was inappropriate for her to take uh, on behalf of Jesse Smollett from some unknown celebrity. I don't know who called her. They haven't revealed that. There you go. There we go. Transparency in Cook County. They've buried all like the report uh, that Dan Webb prepared. So we just know some of the, the basics. We don't have all the specifics. But she took the call, and then she uh, made a phone call on behalf of Justice Millett to Eddie Johnson. Remember all this? Remember Eddie Johnson used to be the police chief? Oh, Boy, yeah, that hey, guy. To overwhelm you. The story is only, what, two years old almost? So a lot of these people whose names I'm mentioning aren't even on the scene anymore. Empire's off the air, isn't it? Isn't Empire off the air? I couldn't yes. tell you. Oh, come on. He's acting like he, he loves Empire, ladies and gentlemen. He owns, he owns like, tapes of Empire. And he, the other night I called Dennis. I go, Dennis, uh, let's talk about pre-production. Uh, ben, I'm watching uh, season three, episode four of Empire. Can I get back It's to funny because it's the year 2020. Uh, you know, just the fact that I own tapes of Empire isn't surprising. The fact that I own tapes. In general, it's surprising. Uh, no, Who the hell has tapes it. anymore? As soon as I said it, I like, oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, I left myself open with that one. But uh, to that uh, comment O'Brien made, Fox's election campaign spokeswoman Alex Sims declined to respond. Ben, with the way today's news cycle uh, is and how it chews up and spits out <laughs> stories one week after the next, I have to ask, do you think voters really still care about Smollettgate? Uh, I think, by and large, the answer is no. Like, it will not be uh, have an impact uh, on the election. I've said all along, I think Kim Fox will be victorious. I I believe it's a shorthand for people's just general political leanings. So Smolletgate to uh, Trumpers represents the this notion that somehow or other. Uh, black people get uh, an advantage with the system. How Trumpers can convince themselves of that, given the history of black people in criminal justice, I do not know. It's amazing what people can convince themselves of if left alone to their own devices. But somehow or other, it's like that's what it represents, and it's backlash time. So if you're just like really mad at the system because you think it's too fair to black people, you're going to be voting. Uh, Smollett Gate will give you one more reason not to vote for Kim Fox. Uh, if you, as I do, think that this is backlash politics, an attempt to punish Kim Fox uh, for trying to change our approach to criminal justice, uh, you will view uh, Smollett Gate with a little disdain and you will vote for Kim Fox. So my guess is that she will be victorious because uh, Cook County is, is uh, I think, more people of the liberal persuasion are going to lean that way and just go with her. And Smollett Gate will just be like this, what do I say, like humorous little side story all the attention that's focused on it. Good God. I just think of all the people swept up in our insane war on drugs. They never uh, appointed Dan Webb to investigate that. Uh, just Smollett Gate. Because he's a celebrity, D. We're obsessed with celebrities. He's not even that big a celebrity, but it's good enough. He was on Empire. Let's take that other celebrity. I've, but I'm proud of this fact. I've not read one story, but I was just saying to my wife the other day, I can't believe there's another, and I, it's the, the house repair guy. You know who I'm talking about? 
no, you house know, repair guy. Yeah. There's some guy with a, I know some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. There's a show about a reality TV show where they come in and they repair a house and somehow there's some kind I mean, there's a lot of shows that do that. This story has been around Chicago. The bright one loves it. They put it on the, and I just like, don't read it. I see it. I absolutely don't oh, yeah. read it. I know. I like, I'm, and it's like the book house is still, there's still controversy. And they like the names, everybody, like the people who are into the story, know the names of the people, Billy Bob and Janie Joe, they know their names. So it's like, like, we just love celebrities so much. Oh, they're talking about celebrities. I feel like I know these people because I see them on TV. So to answer your question, D, no, I do not think Smollett Gate uh, will have uh, a big impact on how people vote. And furthermore, this story is so complicated and confusing. Uh, this uh, Michael Tuman story, I do not believe it will have an impact on Michael Tuman's retention. Most people don't even know what that means. And I do not believe it will have an impact on Kim Fox. But I tell you this. You're going to hear a lot about it in the Tribune because they are going after Kim Fox big time. And my attitude about Kim Fox is that her alleged mishandling or his mishandling pales in comparison to William Barr, attorney general. Pales. Okay. If Kim Fox had done half of the things that could you imagine if Kim William Barr we're going to be talking about this with Adolfo. Get ready, Adolfo. William Barr has attempted to intervene to become Donald Trump's uh, defense lawyer in his the rape case against him. Imagine if Kim Fox moved to intervene to defend Michael Joseph Madigan in Commonwealth Edison Gate. Oh, my God. The Tribune's head would explode. So, I mean, if you want to compare overreach by uh, prosecutors, I think that William Barr far exceeds Kim Fox. So that's why, in my opinion, the the Kim Fox haters have no credibility. All right. And finally here, let's play today's candidate campaign ad. Our ad, once again, comes out of the 6th Congressional District in the congressional race between incumbent Sean Puffy Caston and his one-of-a-kind Republican uh, opponent, Jeannie. I also hate Empire Ives. (laughs) By the way, still waiting for the latest ad from Ives. We learned Monday that Ives is spending $43,000 on a series of cable TV ad buys that will run this Thursday through September 23rd. Will it be one of those middle-of-the-road ads like the one we heard last week from Jeannie Ives? I'm Jeannie Ives. Want to know why I'm running for Congress? Walk a mile in my shoes. Or will it be a new one featuring the Genie Ives we've grown to love calling Sean Caston a dirty hippie? Only time will tell, all right? But we do have a new campaign ad from Sean Caston to play for all of you. Caston's latest ad proved to be effective, or his last ad, rather, proved to be effective. It was an endorsement from former bigwig Republican Pat Brady. The ad had partisan conservatives up in arms. A handful of Ives supporters took to the local media and called Pat Brady, a phony liberal. Uh, so let's hear the latest ad from Caston here. According to his campaign, the ad is part of a $2.4 million ad buy on TV and cable that will run through Election Day. This ad showcases the fact that Caston is no dummy and highlights his experience as a scientist. This ad is titled Molecular. Sean Caston. 
a scientist who built a successful company that used technology to clean up pollution, putting businesses to work fighting climate change. Sean pledged to keep people informed, holding more than 40 town hall meetings across the district. Families have been through a lot this year, and it's far from over. The way forward is to follow the science to control this pandemic and get our economy back on its feet. I'm Sean Caston, and, and we, we approve, approve this message. message. Oh, big group of people there. I've never heard of that before. Who are the group of people? Did you see it? I think those were scientists. Oh. <laughs> uh, Albert Einstein was in that group. Uh, Madam Curry was uh, there as well. Yes, yeah, great scientists from the past. So, Ben, what would you think of that ad? I I love the ad. And um, listen, here's what's going on. Uh, Sean Caston is from, I've said this before, a uh, suburban district that had been Republican. And through demographic changes has become more and more Democrat. I actually believe it went for Hillary Clinton. Uh, And so people in that swing district are quintessential liberal Democrats. like they're they're uh, how would I put they're like conservative on social issues excuse me conservative on fiscal issues but liberal on social issues so they support a woman's right to choose uh, and they're generally well educated as a result they believe in climate change they believe that man's uh, is creating through his pollution the circumstances that lead to huge forest fires throughout the west coast we talked about this already up into oregon uh things like the 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 glaciers are uh, are melting uh lake michigan is is as high as it's been at uh, the water level d all right don't make any read for jokes uh it's as high as it's Dang. been in in many years so people from sean Casson's district they pride themselves on their intelligence and their education and they're just dismayed and disgusted by Donald Trump's anti-science bias. And so Jeannie Eyes, it's a difficult situation. She's a MAGA hat wearer. She's a Trumpster. And as such, she has tied herself to a man who doesn't believe uh, COVID is for real, doesn't believe it's a hoax, doesn't believe you have to wear masks, is having rallies indoors with hundreds of people jammed up against each other, most of them not wearing masks, just openly mocking the notion that you have to wear a mask. So it's really a uphill climb for Jeannie Ives in that district. And what Sean Caston not so subtly is doing is saying, I am not an idiot like they are. You know, you don't have to be freaking Albert Einstein to know you should wear a mask. But just in case, I'm a scientist. When, now, D, did they show him like, Pouring stuff into test tubes like and beakers like and that. stuff. Yeah, that's what to me what a scientist. Maybe is. I don't know. I just played it and kind of started going oh, about yeah, my business. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's a very effective ad, and it just plays in uh, to that divide that exists. And we see I've talked about this a lot. Jim Durkin, who's the state rep from one uh, from that general area, he may actually be in that congressional district. He's the the head of the Republican Party in um, the state house. He's always he doesn't know what to do with this because his party has been taken over by Trumpsters. And yet his political base in DuPage County and Elmhurst, et cetera, and so forth, are like the people who would appeal to that Sean Casson ad. So Republican Party in the state of Illinois, you got some serious issues. And there you uh, have it. Oh, do you have no, any more to add it. there? I'm just going to say you have some serious issues, and I don't.
care. (laughs) And there you have it. Your Tuesday 2020 Illinois general election candidate update brought to you by science. That was a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. All right, everybody. Uh, Be sure to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email like that one feller did. Don't want to say his name. He didn't want us to. It was a great email. Thank you very much. You can send us an email as well. Benny J Show at gmail.com. Include your name and where you're from in those emails. It's very helpful for us. And also, you can call the Ben Jaromsky Show. That's right. We have a phone number. 708-658-4788. Oh, we got the the sirens going on here. You hear that, Ben? They're, They're coming to get me. Ha ha, he he, ho ho, to the funny farm. Is that Dolfo? That's a Dolfo. Oh my goodness. And send us an email. Well, how'd you do that? Well, I'm I, just like. I sent him an invite. I sent him an invite. Not that hard. And 708 658 4788. That number again, 708 658 4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. We got a Dolfo with us. Oh, he's got a pigeon mustache going on these days. Yeah. Uh, All right, see. We were going to do this thing. We were going to, uh, how long before he drops the F bomb? And you've ruined it, D, by using a swear word. Hello. <laughs> so now it's, our All experiment right. is ruined. Well, well, we can still do it. Get your bets in, live stream audience. How long until Andolfo Mondragon drops the F bomb? We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to play some Michael Girardi. And when we come back, election lawyer Adolfo Mondragon, it's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment and Ben's attic.
I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. Anyway. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, September 15th is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Finney J, take it away. Adolfo Mondragon, Pride and Joy, Back in the Yards, Curie High, Yale, University of Chicago Law School, you name it, the Ben Jarofsky Show, nickname El Dragon. Uh, he's an attorney <laughs> by trade, an election law lawyer. Uh, his uh, expertise, his particular expertise, he's a political junkie, he's run for office several times, and he's a frequent guest on our show because uh, he's unafraid to tell it like it is. Uh, Adolfo, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Benny. Uh, just before that, I... I gotta make a correction there in the state of illinois attorneys are not experts but we focus on certain areas of the law <laughs> okay i sit corrected i'll probably make the same mistake the next time he comes on uh, no it's I'm just a, it's it, it's an ethical thing we have to say that <laughs> is that right for real ethics? yeah the the, the, uh, the ethics uh, in the state of illinois <laughs> <What a laughs> right. Right, what right a lot on my uh, what kinds of ethics, Illinois? Well, let me think about that. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I do, uh, I sent Adolfo homework. I sent him three articles, ladies and gentlemen, to read. Yeah, I make my guests work hard uh, when they come on my show, and they, I make them read all kinds of articles. And uh, the articles I sent him have to do with Donald Trump uh, spending up to fifty-eight million dollars uh, on lawyers' fees. It's two thousand and fifteen money that he took out of various uh, campaign funds. People donated for political campaigns. He ends up spending money on uh, lawyer fees. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh, Donald Trump attitude toward lawsuits. He's uh, too busy to deal with lawsuits filed against him, but not too busy to sue other people. We'll get uh, <laughs> for his thoughts on the interesting distinction there uh, between what makes a president busy and uh, the Justice Department intervening on behalf of uh, Donald Trump in the rape case with Eugene Carroll. Love to hear what Adolfo has to say about that. Just imagine, folks, if you will, if Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox uh, intervened on behalf of Michael Joseph Madigan and his troubles with the Fed. Just could you imagine the ruckus for MAGA hat wearers in the state of Illinois if that were to happen? Um, and then, of course, I got to ask Adolfo, he's a political junkie, uh, about the all important Latino vote. Suddenly, that's emerging as an issue, particularly in the state of Florida. Uh, there was a poll that showed that Donald Trump's support is picking up among Latino voters. I'm very dubious about that poll, but it has uh, concerned Joey Biden, and he's rushing down to Florida uh, to try to win back the Latino vote. So, a lot to talk about with Adolfo. That's the uh, our general list. Let's start with. Uh, politicians who are in trouble with the law dipping into their campaign uh, war chests to pay for their uh, defense fees. This is something you know a little bit about because you have uh, filed suits against, I want to say, uh, Danny Solis, or you at least launched an investigation if you haven't filed a suit. Why don't you give us an update on that Danny Solis lawsuit before we apply it uh, right. issues to Donald Trump? Go. So I represent uh, Alderman Byron Sisco Lopez in a complaint that he filed with the Illinois State Board of Elections against one of Danny Solis's uh, political committees, the one that he used for his um, 
committeemanship, the uh, political party uh, committee, because uh, yes, he, he had at least two: one that he used for his aldermanic stuff, and one that he used for the award committeeman uh, position. And as uh, some people might know, uh, some time ago, actually the day right after he finished his uh, term as alderman and was a private citizen for the first time in like 23 years, he shifted some money from one uh, commi- uh, political committee to another and then uh, made a payment in the amount of like something like $220,000 to a law firm that uh, was providing him legal defense against the allegations of wrongdoing and public corruption that came out of a two-year federal investigation. And uh, so the complaint basically says that, you know, campaign funds are for campaigns by definition. The act says you can only use money or what they call expenditures for something that is has a connection to either your election nomination to election, your election or your retention to office and, uh, you know, money to attorneys to assist you in your private defense against, uh, criminal charges is not money that's going towards your campaign. And so it's an issue of first impression. That means that the courts have never addressed this issue because, Although we are arguing that the law has always prohibited this um, type of use of money, the board themselves have over the years uh, gotten uh, inquiries about this practice, but have had a blanket policy of, oh, it's allowable because they are attorney's fees. And as long as they're attorney's fees and there's nothing in the statute that prohibits attorney's fees, uh, they're perfectly okay. And so the problem with that argument is that there are some types of attorney's fees that are, per, you know, perfectly legitimate. You know, when you pay an attorney to file your candidacy papers, that's related to your campaign. When you pay an attorney to defend you against an objection, that's related to your campaign. When you pay an attorney to um, contest an election, that's related to your campaign. So the reason why the statute doesn't prohibit legal fees, blanket, you know, is because there are some that are legit and there are some that are not. What the what the what the act does prohibit is money that's not related or connected directly to campaigning or election. And so it's it's very similar on the federal level. They have rules that prohibit essentially personal use of money that's supposed to be used for campaigns. And the federal system has um, a test that they use to determine whether or not the use was in fact personal or was for campaigning. And I haven't dealt much uh, with the federal system at all, but the idea is basically that whether you're uh, running for federal office or you're running in any one of these states that has campaign disclosure laws is that if someone's going to donate money for you to run for campaign, uh, you know, for election to an office, that money should be used for that purpose and not so that you can go buy yourself a nice suit so that you can go get yourself a haircut so that you could go buy yourself a house, a car, etc. So, you know, things that are personal and very personal in nature and are only secondary to your campaigning purposes shouldn't be allowed. 
Well, I would argue, just based on what you said, uh, Adolfo, that for a a more appropriate use of campaign funds would be buying a suit so that you can go make a a presentable appearance when you go to the voters. That would be a more appropriate use of. uh, And, And yet and yet that is prohibited. So that just tells you, you know. That well, and let me just finish. Uh, that, that's more appropriate than uh, spending money on your criminal defense fund. Go ahead. Exactly. And that's my point. That So if you're even prohibited from purchasing a suit because you're probably going to use the suit 90% time for your personal stuff and 10% for campaigning or whatever, then how the hell are you going to be able to use your money to pay attorneys to defend you against charges that are personal in nature. They're not about your official duties or your campaigning duties. And and when they're dealing and when they're charges about public corruption in particular, well, your official duties aren't to be corrupt in office. So therefore you can't argue that it was about, you know, your your campaigning or your public office uh, duties because you're not supposed to be corrupt. Well, let's let's apply this uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, you're not supposed to be corrupt. That would be news to Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, according to the New York Times, give uh, Eric Lipton a credit. He's the reporter who uh, masked, did all the research. Since 2015, uh, Donald Trump has reached into various uh, campaign funds to spend approximately $58 million on legal fees. And some of that money went to not just defending himself, but initiating lawsuits, uh, particularly lawsuits against White House aides who wrote tell-all books. So he he claimed they violated non-disclosure agreements. So he's filing lawsuits, using campaign funds to finance lawsuits against, to try to keep people from writing books to try to enforce non-disclosure agreements. How the heck is that legal? So for reading the article, I think that a, a big part of the problem is something that happens here similarly in Illinois, which is why, uh, you know, Alderman Cisco Lopez had to file the complaint, is that when these things are reported, they're reported under, you know, massive, you know, amounts under just the title of legal fees. And unless you go in there and fish and separate and distinguish, well, which was these fees were for this purpose or these fees were for that purpose, they're just going to be the, the, the monitoring commissions, you know, whether it's the federal electoral commission or the state board of elections or whatever, they see that you disclose that you used X amount of dollars for legal fees. They don't care unless someone then comes and says, ho, 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 hold on a second. Let's parse these fees out and see which ones are for legitimate use and which ones are for personal use. And then focus on the ones that are for personal use. So, Part of the problem is that why he, why President Trump gets away with this is because, as the article said, it's difficult to distinguish which fees are for what purposes, and oftentimes the campaign themselves won't disclose that. They won't tell you. They'll say, well, we're just paying so-and-so. Sometimes it, it, it is obvious that it's for a particular litigation, but unless someone files a complaint, it's not going to be investigated, and that's the problem. Yeah. And so Donald Trump has been getting away with it for four years. Now, uh, interestingly enough, uh, it seems at the moment he may uh, be a little reluctant to dip in the campaign funds to pay for his legal fees because 
nothing to do with the ethics of the issue, the legality issue. Uh, he is sort of tapped out on his campaign funds in terms of buying the commercial he wants to uh, air against Joe Biden. So uh, he's he's a little concerned because he overspent at the start of this year uh, on uh, things like the Super Bowl ad. And so uh, I think he's you're going to see him sort of st- uh, move away from spending the campaign money on lawyers' fees for his various lawsuits. And instead... He's going to rely on his good friend, William Barr, Attorney General of the United States, head of the Justice Department, uh, to step in and become his defense lawyer, uh, (laughs) as Barr is attempting to do in the case of E. Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit against Donald Trump. Adolfo, please explain to me, you're a lawyer, you went to law school, please explain this to me, how the Justice Department can claim a role in defending Donald Trump from a case that has nothing to do with his position as president of the United States and deals with his behavior, the alleged rape of E. Jean Carroll that took place before he was even a candidate for president. Well, I guess the way you explain it is you have to use a little sophistry, right? And, um, so what I read in the article was that the government's position in uh, legitimizing their intervention into that case is that, first of all, the case is a defamation case. It's not, it's not suing him for the rape itself, uh, at least the way I understood it in the article. It's, it's suing him on a defamation claim because he denied ever having met her and that somehow that denial defamed her. Okay. And defamation claims generally have very short statute of limitations. They have like one year, you have like generally like one or two years to depending on where you're at to, to file these things. So the suit is, is actually about the denial, right? And so the, the federal government said, well, it's not about the rape. It's not about whatever. It's about a statement that the president made while he was president. And therefore, since we are the, uh, you know, the, the body that defends the president anytime he gets sued, that we're intervening here because this statement that he made was made while he was president. That's the position. I think it's a very sophist argument because, as we know, it's really not about, you know, that statement, that denial just happened to occur when he was president, but the denial itself was about, you know, about, like you said, it's this case is really not about the defamation. It's about what he, the underlying stuff, what he did, you know, so many years ago to this woman. And so... I think that that's kind of the, you know, that's the gist of the argument, you know. Is this suit really about something that, you know, uh, that pertains to Donald Trump because he's the president? Or is it something that, uh, you know, pertains to him from, really pertains to him about past acts, even though the denial occurred while he was president? Yeah, sophist uh, is a great word for it. Uh, and let's, let's see how far they go with it. Uh, first of all, they have I think they have to be approved. Their intervention has to be approved by the court. So it's not a slam dunk yet. The tax dollars yeah, there's, are not. There's a test for intervention. I haven't looked at the federal law on intervening in cases, but 
um, they, they there's a test that the judge has to apply and it has to meet certain, you know, uh, requirements before even private parties could intervene in, 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 in litigation. So here's what could happen. Uh, so they've made this uh, petition to the judge, uh, to the court to step in. The Justice Department has made a petition to step in to be his uh, lawyer. Uh, and uh, that will there will be hearings on that matter. Uh, if the judge says, no, you can't be, then he can appeal. Correct. And that means it just drags this this particular element of the case on uh, for that much longer so that the case itself gets dragged out and we will not have uh, any negative press to Donald Trump dealing with his alleged rape, the act itself, until somewhere down the road if the case survives at all. In other words, it's a delay process. Do you follow me? Yeah, and, you know, if this was just a, uh, you know, if this was just Donald Trump, the citizen, I don't know that he'd get an automatic appeal or the judge would. See, because appeals are, are... you can't appeal anything generally until the case is final or the issue is final. And in order to appeal in the middle of a process that's continuing, you generally have to either have a right by statute or the judge has to, in their discretion, say, this is such an important issue that if we go on, we'll foul up everything if later on it turns out that we were wrong. So we're going to appeal this now and then come back if we were right. And so, but the, because he's president, Generally, all courts are going to say, you know what, we're not going to file this up. We're going to allow him to appeal now instead of at the end of the process. And he can make that one of his issues that he could appeal. So, yeah. So because the president knows that <laughs> it's basically it turns out to be a, a, a delay tactic. It's a, absolutely a delay tactic. And at that moment, I like to point out to people, uh, there's an issue of substance that E. Jean Carroll says was left on the dress she was wearing uh, the day she was allegedly raped by Donald Trump. Oh, wow. uh, and she is pe- she's petitioning to have the court order Donald Trump to turn over some samples of his DNA. Uh, and uh, that would prove one way or another if he was responsible for the substance on her dress. I'm not making this up, folks. This is what's going on right now in a lawsuit involving your president of the United States that you voted for. And uh, so effectively, the Justice Department could step in to fight on that issue of whether Donald Trump has to provide a DNA sample. And I can, I can hear, are you talking about sophistry, Adolfo? Wait till they get around to making up arguments like why he, Donald Trump, should be above uh, having to provide well, a DNA he's sample. Already, remember, he's already made arguments that are, like in, the, in the, the last round of Supreme Court cases, there was one of the cases where he said, well, basically, you know, um, I don't have to do this because I'm above the law. He yes. like that, that's that's an actual legal argument they made to the court. Like, well, we don't have to do anything because he's the president, <laughs> you know. And it's like, no, dude. <laughs> and uh, uh, but that's the kind of um, crazy, you know, arguments that they'll make. Crazy because they're not they're, they're not uh, you know justified by any case law, any kind of precedent. At all. It's just, you know, whole cloth, you know, out of your butt stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, the the other interesting thing I pointed this out uh, is that Donald Trump has initiated lawsuits while he's been president. 
you know. Right, and so you're pointing out the hypocrisy, right. So you're saying, you know, he uses shield and parry, right? So he shields himself against lawsuits by saying, I'm the president, you can't sue me. You have to wait till I'm out of office. But then he parries and says, oh, I don't like that person. I'm going to go after them and destroy their life with a frivolous lawsuit. And, and he, you know, six his hounds against them. Yeah. And this gets to a point about uh, Donald Trump, uh, his ethical behavior that uh, Michael Cohen has made more than once. I think I told you this story, uh, Dolfo. Uh, Michael Cohen, of course, is uh, Donald Trump's former lawyer, and uh, he uh, ended up re- uh, turning on Donald Trump because he came to the realization as he was facing criminal prosecution uh, that dedicating his life to Donald Trump <laughs> meant con- like consigning himself to a future of prison. And so if he wanted to be like a mobster in some greater mob who just did it, boss, I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to go to the joint. I'm not going to say a word. And when I come out, you're going to take care of me. That's kind of like the mentality that you have to have, except right. Adolfo, I don't believe Donald Trump is as loyal to his employees as mobsters. So the, <laughs> follow me on this. And you're an expert on mobster movies. Adolfo, by the way, uh, <laughs> knows every mobster movie in the world and every mobster novel. Mobsters generally make good on their promise to take care of the members of their mob when they get out of prison. I don't believe well, in, Donald in, Trump in, would make good on that. In the movies, in the they movie. do in real life. Yes. They, they, you know, since uh, what was the publication of that first book? The one that revealed all the um, the Scalacci papers or whatever. What was it? The Balacci papers. That, yeah, the one that revealed the Omerta laws and everything. Well, since then, all these mobsters don't ob- abide by it. They basically turn on you, either whack the person out or they, you know, whatever. But in theory, yes, that's what they're supposed to do. Omerta, they're supposed to. Shut the hell up. Take it like take the pinch like a man. When they come out, you know, they get rewarded. And um, but you know, Cohen I guess realized that just like in the mob, it's all make believe. Well, I I told you sorry, I might as well confess to everybody. Uh, on Sunday I was in a bookstore and there was Cohen's book and I really wrestled. I wanted to <laughs> I go, well, I'm not really ready to buy a Michael Cohen book. I mean, it's so close uh, to being you know a, a Trumpster. He was Trump's uh, collector. He was Trump Patchett, man. He was Trump's Roy Cohn. It's like, ah, it's a little too early for me to buy it. So instead what I did, I'm not particularly proud of this, Adolfo. I stood in the bookstore and read like 50 pages of it. I got the gist of it. I know, shame on me and shame on me. <laughs> but I got a, a strong sense uh, from Cohen, who was there in the room, of how uh, sleazy uh, Donald Trump is. So let's relate this to what's going on in Chicago and in the state of Illinois. What, in your humble opinion... You can't even get uh, somebody, Cook County or the judiciary system, to recognize that Danny Solis uh, shouldn't pay uh, his criminal defense laws out of money that uh, his criminal defense fees out of uh, money that people gave him to run his campaigns. What do you think the reaction would be if Kim Fox pulled a William Barr? And said, you know what? I've been inspired by William Barr. I'm going to ask the state's attorney to uh, intervene on behalf of Michael Madigan uh, and uh, the investigation and comment. What do you think the response would be, Adolfo? I, I, I think um, it'd be utter shock because, um, you know, while, while someone is in office, whether they're an employee, let's say you're an employee of the state, 
and you know you get sued for your duties that you were doing while you were an employee you know the attorney general is supposed to defend you if um if you're working for the city and you know the then the state's attorney is supposed to defend you but <laughs> when you're just a personal citizen you know because you previously were uh you know an elected official uh it, it doesn't you know that's just extending the uh uh the 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 legitimate use of the office to, you know, some seriously dangerous uh, waters. At that point, then you could just, you know, um, yeah, it, it'd be a serious abuse of power. At that point, what did you say? I missed that. What'd you say? Oh, no, I, I was just saying that at that point, it would be a serious abuse of powers. And if you thought the Jesse Smollett thing was something, then, you know, forget about it. If Kim Fox ever did something like that, it'd be over for her. <laughs> yeah. I guess the standards are higher for Cook County state's attorney than they are for attorney general of the United States. Uh, well, you know, the thing is about this Trump presidency is that, you know, much in, in life, in politics and society is um, functions because People have either uh, most of the time they have mutual agreements that unwritten agreements, right? You know, early on in this country, a great example is, you know, Washington didn't run for a third office, even though people begged them to. And that precedent, there was no law, that precedent uh, uh, kept ambitious men who could have easily had another term in office like Jefferson or Andrew Jackson, et cetera, from having a third term, right? Until then, you know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt start change that, right? But, um, but that's the power of these unwritten agreements, unwritten rules that we have in society. And a lot of our government functions on these unwritten rules about ethical standards, about morals, about things we should and shouldn't do. And for the longest time, even the greedy bastards in the Republican Party had a limit to as to where they would go, what they would support. When Nixon, um, you know, finally resigned, he resigned because his own party, uh, members of his own party went to him and said, no, this is a line we cannot cross, mm -hmm. right? But... Trump has completely and utterly shattered that, at least in the Republican Party, because all these guys tried in the beginning to either play with him and or constrict Donald Trump in his actions. And at some point, they just capitulated and said it's better to you know join the team and you know be hypocrites and give up on all these things that we believed in than, than try to fight him on it. We might as well just get the most... While we're while he's here, out of it and and just be complicit, and that's a very hard psychological line to cross. That's the line that keeps society functioning in a in a particular way, and Donald Trump has utter, you know has basically shattered that line, at least for a, a certain people in our population in our government, and that is a serious travesty. And I don't know that that can be very quickly or there's going to have to be a lot of cultural work, you know, the culture of the, 
of the FBI, the culture of the State Department, the culture, all of that stuff is going to have to be reinvented because this guy just shattered everything. And William Barr is, you know, a, a guy who's just, you know, done just as much as Trump to do that. Yeah, he's uh, he's his chief enabler. William Barr exactly, is his chief enabler. Exactly. There was always a line of of either some kind of unwritten moral code or moral code or even just a basic line of shame that people would not cross. You know, and now that that's been shattered. People are shameless. They're, you know, I mean, they're all complicit. All of these guys who were who once ran against Donald Trump and said that he was the most vile, horrible thing, that he doesn't belong in government. And all these guys are, are complicit members, Ted Cruz and uh, little Marco and all of those guys. They're, they're you know, they're, they're just as complicit. They've allowed this to happen. All right, let's uh, let's see if the voters will allow it to happen, and then we'll move over to the political end. Uh, and uh, the articles uh, that have been appearing in the newspapers the last couple of days have to do with the Latino vote in Florida, uh, and the concern among Biden uh, operatives is that Trump may pick up enough of the Latino vote in Florida to win the state. Uh, when it comes to making predictions about Florida, Adolfo, I throw my hands in the air. I think it's one of the most dysfunctional uh, states uh, in the, the union and a very bizarre state, a very bizarre mix of different constituencies. What's your sense of the Latino vote in this country uh, and how much support there is for Joe Biden? Well, what I've read from uh, the article you me and also a recent article that just dropped in uh I believe it was the Washington Post that mentioned Chuck Rocha, the guy who was the head of Bernie's um, Latino outreach uh, component of the campaign, is that the Biden campaign has done a horrible job of reaching out to Latinos in general, not just in Florida, but everywhere else. As you know, the Latino community is very diverse. Even within certain populations, like even within the Mexican-American community, you have people who are very conservative and religious, and you have other people who are more liberal, et cetera. Uh, it's not a homogeneous, I mean, uh, yeah, it's not a homogeneous uh, group. Um, and according to Chuck Rocha, um, and there's uh, been a lot of people within the Democratic Party that have been complaining to Biden that, He's doubling and tripling down on suburban white women in particular uh, states uh, and other demographics and taking for granted the Latino vote just as the Democratic Party in the past has been accused of taking for granted the black vote. Um, and because of that, it's not that uh, Trump is going to win the Latino vote, but apparently the uh the political wisdom uh, in Florida is that to win the state, it's not that you're going to uh, outright win over certain populations, but that you either have to uh, bring out more of your people or steal enough of the other guy's people that you lose by a smaller margins in certain areas. And then you pump up your vote in other areas. It went by more. So if the case is that, you know, some Latinos are not going to vote for Biden and or are going to vote for Trump, then, uh, you know, Biden is in a tough spot because I think arguably he's done very little to nothing 
to appeal to the Latino vote, which is a now, uh, you know, a stronger um, and more important component of the national vote and uh, is a vote that can be energized and can be moved as the Bernie campaign showed in California and in Nevada and in Texas and in other areas. But I think this goes to the divide in right now in the, the democratic party that, you know, there are these staunch old stalwarts that want to do the things that like they've always done it and are very non-receptive to change and to allowing um, these segments that are towards the left or are asking for, you know, some piece of the pie and they're reluctant to, to give anything to them. They just yeah. say, well, who, who are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for Trump. That's all, you know, who are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for X. And, and, and that's the old playbook. That's the old playbook. African-Americans have known it for years. They're, again, the accusations have always been that the, that they're, that they're the backbone of the democratic party, but they've been taken for granted because who are they going to vote for? Are they really going to vote for a Republican? You know? No, but maybe they'll set it out like they did in Wisconsin and in Madison and then see what happens. And the lessons of the last election have not been learned by these old stalwarts. You know, they have not learned that it's better. It's just like the old saying, right? You attract more bees with honey or flies with honey than with vinegar. I mean, what does it take to post the primaries this time to have Biden come out and say, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm very stuck on certain issues, but I'm going to give you this and this and this, and it's going to make you a happier camper, and you're going to go out and vote for me, and it's going to make you feel better about having me, a person you did not want on the ticket, to be on the ticket. But no, instead it's just take this shit and eat it and be good because what are you going to do? You're going to go vote for Trump? Well, that may happen in Florida, according to this article now, because... Well, we might say, you might argue uh, uh, that, well, how could you vote for Trump, the guy who that Mexicans are horrible people, blah, blah, blah. According to this article, some Latinos are saying true, but Biden also was vice president when Obama was the king of deportations. And so how am I going to trust that guy too? And so uh, the bottom line is that Biden is doing a horrible job uh, uh, reaching out to this community whether it's in Florida or nationwide, and he needs to step up his game or we might have a repeat of the last election. Uh, and uh, on a similar theme, now I'm going to watch you put your uh, Bernie hat on, Adolfo Mondragon, was into Bernie Sanders long before it was fashionable back in 2016. Uh, he was passionately imploring me to vote for Bernie, not that I needed his <laughs> imploring, but he did it anyway. Uh, and uh, I, there was just a very interesting uh, article by David Sirota, who um, a columnist used to be Bernie Sanders speechwriter now right. has his own uh, blog. Uh, and he it was a very similar theme to the one you were articulating Adolfo only he was relating it to uh, Bernie supporters. And he, he took this poll uh, and that I think it was Fox commissioned and it showed that Joe Biden Republicans are either, I think 5% of people who identify themselves as Republicans say they plan to vote for Joe Biden, 5%. And Sirota's point is that's minuscule. 
And yet so much of the energy of the Democratic oh, yeah. Party, particularly your good friend Rahm Emanuel, uh, are saying that this is the year of Biden Republicans. Uh, <laughs> and the strategy that the Democrats are following, to your point, is the same one that Hillary Clinton followed in 2016. And this is applies to Bernie people. You got no choice, Ben, Adolfo, Dennis. Yeah. You're going to vote. You got to vote for uh, Biden because you're not going to vote for Don, Donnie Trump. And I know in my case, and I would never vote for Donald Trump ever. Okay. Uh, and I also know my case that I will always vote for the Democrat because I like, I mean, it's ingrained in me. But I don't know if all Bernie supporters well, be, are like me. Because, no, no, I, and I think the, I've had this analogy, I've given you this analogy before, is that sometimes an organism, a person, a body, some kind, you have to chop off a limb in order to survive in the long run, right? To change things the way they're going because you're not happy with what's going on. And, I think that that's what happened in the last election. No one had to say it, and yet certain pockets and populations, they didn't vote for Trump. They just didn't go and vote for Hillary. All right, as a, as a you know as as their own silent protest of no, I will not be taken for granted. And even if I have to endure shit for four years, I will come out better at the end of it because the party will have learned its lessons. It will it will start listening to us and we will move forward and more powerful, right? But this these stalwarts, these people who keep you know playing by the old rule book like Rahm Emanuel and keep on shaming uh, voters who want to open up the party to new and more progressive ideas and saying you're not being a good Democrat, you're the cause of why we lost the last election, etc. Instead of what happened to the buck stops here. Huh? What happened? To, it's my fault if I didn't win the fucking election. It's my fault if I didn't convince you that you should vote for me. It's my fault if I didn't, uh, you know, get your vote because I was too greedy and, you know, listening to the lobbyists and listen to uh, the Rahm Emanuel's of the world instead of actually saying, here, let me toss you a bone, a bone so that you could be happy. You know, you don't even get a bone anymore. Back in the old day, the Democratic Party greased everybody, right? <laughs> they don't do, they don't do that. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. You know, you don't yeah. get a bone anymore, much much less what you actually deserve for being the backbone of the party and being true and and loyal for decades. You know, you don't get shit, dude. And that's where they that's what they're doing. They're just like, "No." And look, Kamala Harris in the beginning, oh yeah, universal health care. And now because she wants to be vice president because she realizes that Biden may only be a one-term guy and she's going to have the presidency, it's like, fuck that. I'm going to just, you know, switch over and play by these guys' rules. But ultimately, that decision may may end up causing the presidency. Little things like that. Yeah. And so I, that's a huge thing, but I get your point. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Kamala Harris was already dropping back from universal health coverage, I think by the second debate. Uh, oh, so yeah, exactly. yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, by the way, I just want to say, I really appreciate your analysis. I thought it was right on. Uh, I just want to announce to our listeners who were in the over under contest, uh, 34 minutes. Uh, it only took them 34 <laughs> minutes before the F bomb was dropped. I was keeping track. Uh, tremendous <laughs> restraint from a double oh, uh, and uh, 
Daddy just lost it there. The F-bomb was dropped at the 34-minute mark. Uh, oh, so, man. folks, uh, take your tickets into uh, the windows. What was the over-under? What was the, the over-under? Under? Yeah, the over-under was 33, I want to say. So. <laughs> Adolfo Mondragon. Right now, Vegas is, like, paying out. There were some people in, who said he's not going to do it at all, and they're getting, they're getting their uh, oh you got me all riled up man and that's what happened <laughs> uh, all right uh it's always a blast talking politics with the great adolfo mundragon adolfo thank you very much for coming on i appreciate it we talking to you real soon all right oh thanks for letting me give my two cents all right that's adolfo mundragon d you got any updates for us before we head out the door absolutely i do yeah live stream chat room was all over like oh he said the f word <laughs> was like, he was good for 34 minutes he was doing great he, he was doing and then all of a sudden he just got him on the birdie so you got folks you got to know this uh adolfo and i don't agree on everything all right but we both passionate uh political junkies we love talking politics with each other we get on the phone it's like an hour conversation uh and uh i know adolfo uh how much he loves bernie sanders and the bernie sanders movement from 2016 he was so passionate so d i knew as soon as i raised the subject of david sirota's column uh, that uh, about bernie sanders which i'm probably gonna take a deeper dive tomorrow with monroe get monroe's thoughts on it as soon as i raised it i knew all right here comes the f-bomb and sure enough boom <laughs> When he thinks about he when he thinks about the that's why I said good friend Rahm Emanuel when he thinks about the Rahm Emanuel wing of the Democratic Party that corporous dem wing oh my god f bomb look out well less is more Adolfo well, we liked that interview that was great you know when you come in hard in the paint with f bombs from the beginning yeah, it's okay but. When you save the best for last and just give him a good one at the end, it's awesome. Oh, you mentioned Rahm Emanuel. Take a chill pill, man. Chill out, dude. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, Rahm. Chill out. I heard you went on a bike ride, Rahm. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't uh, have that. Oh, you don't have that. Okay, whatever. Hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, he went on a bike ride. See what happens when you just call these things out out of the blue? Oh, he went on a bike ride. Yeah, he did. Where did he go again? I can't remember. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. How many miles was it around? Uh, <laughs> nearly a thousand miles. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. I'm we sure got what? discussed healthcare with lots of people. Anyway, go ahead, D. We have two updates here. Uh, we have some Pritzker updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, JB Pritzker gave a speech at that, uh, that down that Southern cooking restaurant we were talking about earlier with rattlesnake tails. But we have more details. Uh, first off, uh, Pritzker said the rattlesnake tails are delicious. He loves the <laughs> rattlesnake tails, guys. Uh, that's actually not a bad Pritzker. Invitation. Yeah, no, that wasn't bad. All right. Uh, let's see here. So uh, the governor, like we said here, he gave a little press <laughs> conference. Uh, and what the hell is going on with my computer? Okay, here we go. Uh, Governor Pritzker at a news conference in Chicago said all cabinet members are identifying 5% cuts for all agencies should Congress fail to take ac- action on an aid package to states. Uh, fiscal year 2022 could see 10% reduction to appropriations. That's according to the governor. He said, uh, quote, if we don't receive support from the federal government for our cities and counties, they won't be able to maintain their workforce regarding police and fire. He said, quote, we're literally talking about thousands of people who will get laid off across the state. So uh, we're looking at some uh, cuts here, Ben. 
Yeah, and uh, th- that gets back to the political decision that uh, Donald Trump has to make because it's uh, it's Donald Trump's call. Will he put the pressure on Mitch McConnell uh, to up the amount of money that the feds kick to the states and the cities uh, and then to individual citizens? Right now, it doesn't seem like he's putting that pressure on him because obviously he's calculating that he can win the election without it. Uh, if the polls, his internal polls show that he's paying for this, that he's uh, losing voters. Uh, he will t- flip on the dime day and you will see uh, money going to the states uh, and the cities. Now, if he can figure out a way just to give the money to the red states, he'll do it. Because as we saw with California, he would have let California and Oregon fall into the sea, burned down, didn't care. He's not gonna get their votes anyway. And, uh, but obviously uh, his pollsters must have told him Donnie, we're hurting. Wisconsin, we're hurting. In Pennsylvania, we're hurting. In North Carolina and Florida with swing voters who want you to show just like an ounce of compassion for people who have lost their homes, lost their livelihoods because of these fires. Got to do something. So he flies in. (laughs) He flies in in between campaign appearances for a couple hours. Doesn't even leave the airport. Wow. Uh, so that's his attempt. So D, it's the same principle. If he thinks it can win the election for him, he'll kick some money to Illinois. I'm sure we'll have more updates on this uh, on tomorrow's program. So let's move on to an update in the city of Chicago. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. John Seidel and Lauren Fitzpatrick. The headline reads, another key player in CPS's Barbara Bird Bennett <laughs> scandal gets to leave prison because of COVID-19. A key player in the scandal that brought down one of then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel's hand-picked school chiefs is set to leave prison three years early because of the coronavirus. Gary Solomon, 52 years old, will be moved to home uh, confinement September 22nd after securing approval on August 27th. This is according to a a report filed Monday by prosecutors and Solomon's attorney. That approval followed a Bureau of Prisons review of inmates with COVID-19 risk factors. The result of that decision is that all three defendants in the kickback scandal that once left the Chicago public schools reeling will be out of prison five years after they were charged in October 2015. Officially, Solomon's sentence still runs until October 2023. Uh, After that, a judge also sentenced him to serve a year of uh, supervised release. So, Ben, your thoughts here. I know you told me to, quote, give you the ball on this one. The ball is yours, my friend. All right, well, I'm not going to, we're at the end of the show. I'll probably talk about this later in the week. This is sort of ancient history to voters. We we were joking about how many voters we even know uh, would understand Smollett Gate and all its ramifications. Uh, this has to do with a scandal that occurred during the years of Rahm Emanuel. Uh, he, Rahm Emanuel picked Barbara Bird Bennett, folks. All right, this is for out-of-towners. This is how Chicago politics works. This is how Rahm Emanuel's mind works. Uh, Rahm Emanuel thought that if he was elected mayor of Chicago and he closed schools in the city, that he, it would help his national uh, ranking and people would really appreciate him. Corporate Dems would appreciate him. He went over favorable articles and editorials in the New York Times and the Washington Post as the kind of Democrat who's not afraid to beat up teachers unions. All right. That was his theory and his strategy. So he closed schools. All of a sudden there's an uprising in Chicago. It's not that popular. And suddenly he's under siege uh, and he's worried about his reelection. 
so he appointed Barbara Bird Bennett, a black woman, uh, to be the head of the Chicago Public Schools. And she, the deal they worked out was that she would be the face on all those school clothing. So he would put a black woman up front to say that this is important. This is going to help black children in the city of Chicago. How you can make that argument, I do not know. But she made it. Ron wasn't even in the state when she closed the schools. He was skiing, I believe, in Utah. And she called, announced that the schools would be closed, 50 schools oh, would be closed. Or biking in Michigan, either one, you know? Uh, he was skiing in uh, Utah at the time. And uh, in exchange, Rom looked the other way. And Raul Rom's flunkies at the Board of Ed looked the other way while Barbara Bird Bennett cooked up this scheme where they gave $20 million contract for principal evaluations uh, to these schemers and wheelers and dealers. What a con job it was. And they were they agreed to kick back money to uh, Barbara Bird Bennett. In the end, she totally got screwed. The uh, the contractors got their money. They did their silly waste of time, uh, principal evaluations and tutoring programs, et cetera, and so forth, training programs. Barbara Bird Bennett didn't get the kickback. She got convicted instead, got sent to prison, and her name is disgrace uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, and this was the price we paid to have a uh, Barbara Bird Bennett take the hit for Rom on closing the schools. Ancient history in the city of Chicago, D, but this old guy hasn't forgotten it. This old guy, I just wrote a column for the reader. I urge everybody to check it out about the games that mayors play when it comes to schools. They all want to be treated as saviors who are saving public education in Chicago when in fact they're wheelers and dealers and operatives. And they're just using the schools to benefit their political careers. Take a chill pill, man. All right, we got one more update on J.B. Pritzker here. First off, I want to say uh, to Christopher on the live stream chat, uh, sorry I didn't get to read your comment today on the program. I said I would. Hopefully tomorrow uh, I can read some of that. But please feel free to weigh in on the live, stra- uh, live stream chat. And all you live stream chatters are awesome. You help our day go along a lot easier. All right, a Pritzker update here. Uh, also today, Pritzker said that he won't be persuaded by other states allowing contact sports in high school. The governor was asked today about the small number of suburban rallies supporting fall sports in high schools and the rumors today that Governor Pritzker was going to make some sort of announcement about the topic. Will there be fall sports sooner than later was the question. JB's response said, uh, JB, JB's response was rather, uh, well, let me start by saying, frankly, that I wish we didn't have this pandemic keeping us back from, frankly, from our small businesses being highly successful as they have been in the state, holding people back from getting their jobs back if they've been laid off. The pandemic has had an enormous impact on everybody, not to mention the health and safety of people. But the idea, as you know, of focusing on sports, not my idea. It's doctors and researchers have found that these sports, particularly in high school sports and college sports, without the proper mitigations, without the proper prevention, uh, etc., that those sports are dangerous. And evidence of that has popped up more recently in our state down in Wayne County. I think you may know that the baseball team at the community college at Frontier, unfortunately, there was an outbreak. It spread significantly. Most of the team now has tested positive. There are many, many dozens of people who are now quarantined as a result of their of having uh, a result of their having tested positive. There having been an outbreak. This is not an unusual thing. You've seen it before in our state and he says this isn't a political decision. Ben, are you there? 
All right. Well, I guess that's the show. Ben's like, ah, I don't care about this story. Oh, wait. There you are, Ben. Are you there? Yeah, I've been here all oh, along. Okay. I sorry. Was, sorry. I had your, I, I had your volume. I do down. care about the story. Yeah. It's an interesting story. No, no, no. I'm here. Uh, and uh, I don't believe it's a political decision. I believe that if he had allowed football, let's say, that would be a political decision. That uh, would uh, be his way of trying to appease uh, the, the the football crowd that really wants uh, to see some football. Rick Morrissey wrote a great column in the Chicago Sun-Times, sports writer. I know uh, most of my listeners not big sports fans. or maybe I, Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, Dennis has forbidden me from talking about sports. But I'll just say Rick Morrissey wrote a great column uh, in the bright one about a week ago about uh, sports parents and how obsessed they are. They live their... Uh, uh, they're living vicariously through the uh, the sports career, the high school sports careers of their children. And so that group is putting pressure on Pritzker uh, to uh, let's have a football season. I think they've the football season is supposed to happen in the spring. We'll see if it takes place then. But no, D, he, I don't believe he's making a political decision when he does this. If he'd gone the other way, then I go, all right, JB, that's politics. So there you are, everybody. Make sure to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com. Uh, put your name and where you're from, uh, and there's a good chance we'll read it on the program like we did with today's email. And you can call us, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Leave us a voicemail. Actually, we have a voicemail from uh, Doogie, a.k.a. Doogers. Uh, I'm going to play that tomorrow because we're trying to get out of here. So that's the show, guys. All right. Thank you very much, D. I want to thank Adolfo Mondragon. Great job he did. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. Uh, and as J.P. Pritzker will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. I'm not a perfect person. I just biked around Lake Michigan. I just biked around Lake Michigan.